quite a few of you weren't here last week, and we uh, were preaching to you on Christ crucified, which is the same thing that Paul just delighted in preaching about. So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 1 and look at verse 23 and 24, and after we read 23 and 24, we'll read verse 18. It all ties in. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, unto the Greeks, foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Let's bow our heads. Father, we want to thank you this morning for that power of God that makes the preaching of the gospel very important to us. So many go to church just to be going without listening or learning. But if the gospel is the power of God to those that are saved, then they love it. They can't live without it. They've got to have it for food. They've got to have it for comfort. They've got to have it for their learning. And today we want to thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about Christ crucified, and we ask you to bless this message to the hearts of these here and to those who are here by tape. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll just briefly review a few of the points that we mentioned about what preaching Christ crucified means. It's not just the idea of, of an Easter Sunday message and saying they took Christ to the cross and crucified him and buried him and then he rose again. That's, that's all part of preaching Christ crucified. But I mentioned to you that along with that are other forms or parts of doctrine that have to go along with preaching Christ crucified. And the first one we mentioned last week was the doctrine of the Holy Spirit making real to the heart the things of Christ. Now, people have the idea that the work of the Holy Spirit is to give you um, some kind of a hot flush or uh, an electric feeling tingling down your arm or your finger or does your spine or in the back of your neck or some foolish thing like that. And what we showed you from the scriptures that the work of the Holy Spirit is a reproving work. His first work to the heart of a sinner is to reprove him of sin. And that is the greatest blessing that can happen when a person knows that they need their sins forgiven. Now, if you never come to that point, you'll never ask for mercy. You'll never have your sins forgiven, which is a necessity. Strange how the world totally blocks out the necessary. 
What I said was a necessity are things that they don't count necessary. Their sins forgiven. Every one of them. Well, then the second point we mentioned last week was to preach Christ crucified was to magnify the sovereignty of God. That God does as he pleases in the army of heaven or on the army on earth with all people and all creation. God does as he wills. And we read you the, the classic description from uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Let me see if we can find that in Daniel 4. We'll read that one because it's so great. Daniel 4, verse 34. Daniel 4, 34 is what one of the most powerful kings on earth, a human being, had the greatest power because he was the head of gold in the image what he finally has to admit about God. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in, in, in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? That's God's sovereignty. He hit it right on the nose, okay? And then along with that, we talked about God's elective grace and God's effectual call to the individual. You see, salvation isn't just mental. It's a felt salvation. You feel your loneliness. You feel desperately your sinfulness. And it's constantly reminded to you by the workings of your own heart and mind and nature. You're continually reminded of your sinfulness. This is a felt salvation. So you know your need and you cry unto God. That happens only when God the Holy Spirit calls a sinner to Christ. Then the third thing we mentioned was that to preach Christ crucified is to exalt the unchangeable, eternal, all-conquering love of God to the elect sinner. And we told you about John, I mean Jeremiah 31.3. We've read that so many times. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And the interesting thing about that is it's for everyone that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, our triune God, loved with an everlasting love means that there was never a time, never a time in the life of the elect sinner that God ever hated him. Now, I know that's contrary to a lot of preachers and their preaching. They say that the sinner stands on the brink of hell and he's in danger of falling in and he could be lost. No, no. When God says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, that's exactly what he means. Though they're children of wrath by nature, God's love has never separated has never been separated from them. They don't know that. I'm only telling you saints this. Saints have to be informed about the love of God. 
It's been from eternity. And you don't know it until Christ is revealed to your heart. In fact, when you have that effectual call and God quickens the soul, you think that God is nothing but wrath to you, nothing but angry with you all the time. That's the feeling a sinner has, and that's why they cry for mercy. But then how wonderful to know that that wrath of God was poured out upon his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in your place. It was never on you personally, though it should have been. That's God's grace to sinners. It's hard to understand. You can't comprehend it. Well, the fourth thing to preach Christ crucified is to preach a, a redemption that's sure, very certain for his people. And we told you about, well, let's read in John 17, 2. John 17, 2 is a scripture we gave you for that one because it's, it's a sure thing. John 17, 2 says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life, to as many as thou hast given him. Now, how many people are going to have eternal life? The exact number of people that will have eternal life is every one that God the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ back in eternity to die for. Now, do you, you have any idea how many that is? No, you don't. You don't know who they are. But you know that you are one if God has called you, has quickened your soul and gave you an interest in eternity. That's the way you can tell if you are one. And if you don't have an interest in eternity, you had better. You had better ask God to give you an interest. Because if you don't, if you neglect the warnings in God's word, as soon as you quit breathing, you're going to split hell wide open. You'll say, well, if I'm elected, don't make it. No, -uh. you can't come around with that. The elect soul gets quickened. The elect soul has a tremendous interest in eternity, has an awful interest in his own soul. That person, that elect soul, comes down. Rather rich or poor, rather powerful, rather talented, they come down. They come down to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ as a lost sinner. They don't care who they are, kings or paupers. They all end up on the dunghill begging for mercy. Boy, that's a great religion. That Boy, are we included in that? You better believe it. That's right where we are. Nobody's isolated, no matter how great a sinner, no matter how sweet a person. They've all got to come down. Same, lost sinner. All right, now, I think the last thing we mentioned last week was to preach Christ crucified is to preach an eternal security for the believer. What's eternal security? Well, 
We go by the promises of God's word. Do we have anything else beside that? We just have the indwelling of the Spirit that makes the things of God's word real to our heart. That's what's real. And the things that other people do not believe in the Bible, many people don't care about the Bible, period, but there's things in here that we hold very dear to us. The promises. God has promised unto us eternal life. Turn to Titus 1, look at verses 1 and 2. Titus 1, 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now, this type of hope is different than like hoping that the Phillies would win the World Series or hoping that my child will get an A. In no, this hope is based upon the promise of God. This is a hope that you know as a truth in your heart. It will be. There's no doubt about it. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It's a sure thing. The sure things of God that we can't see or feel or know are positive. It's more than a hope. It's a reality to the heart of God's people. So I was just telling you that, that preach Christ is to preach the eternal security of the believer. And then this eternal life is promised by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Savior. That's in John 10, 28. And John 10, 28 is so familiar to all of us. It should be. It says, and well, read verse 27. Verse 27 the people that God gave to the Lord Jesus Christ back in eternity, he here calls them his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, which is terribly important, and they follow me. You see, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I know Christ. Oh, I have done this, just like those over in the seventh chapter of Matthew. I've done this, and I've done that, and we've preached, and we've cast out demons, we've done many. I know Christ. You know what he said? I never knew you. So here's what's important about the sheep. He says, I know them. Boy, those are great words, just wonderful words. And they follow me through thick or thin. That's what he means there. And I give unto them eternal life. See, he's the one that gives eternal Eternal life is in Christ. It's not in reading the Bible. It's not in joining the church. It's not in being affiliated with anything or anybody. It's in Christ. It's knowing Christ. That's where your eternal life is. If you don't know him, you don't have eternal life. All right, now maybe we can get on with the message today. That was just a little review of last week. To preach Christ crucified is to preach the wrath of God as well as the love of God in the death of Christ on the cross. How is that? How can there be love and wrath displayed at the same time? 
Well, to you and I, it was a display of God's love. For him to give his beloved son, his eternally begotten son, the one whom he loves the most and the best, to give his life a ransom for many is his love to us. The display of his wrath was to his son. The one that he loved the dearest, his wrath was poured out upon because his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, voluntarily took the blame and had our sins imputed to him, every single sin of yours and mine imputed to him, so that he could suffer the eternal punishment of God for our sin. That's the wrath of God, to hate sin so much that he would punish it in his dearly beloved Son. You see, we're wading in water well over all of our heads here. We can't understand love like that. And we can't understand wrath like that. Turn to Romans 5.10. Romans 5.10. Now we're going to read some words in here that you will be very familiar with. How about the word enemy? Do you know what an enemy is? An enemy is somebody that hates you. An enemy is somebody you don't care to be around. An enemy is someone that you would like to dispose of. Who's the enemy? Well, let's read it. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now you say, well, I just don't know how that could be. If he died for me, how could I have been his enemy? You see, it isn't talking about particular works that you have done or any part of your life because you weren't even born yet. We're going back 2,000 years when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. So what about this enemy bit? Well, you see, all of mankind are considered offspring of Adam. And because we all have the nature of Adam, the fallen, depraved nature that Adam had when he disobeyed God is accounted to us. That's why you're called an enemy. Though you haven't done anything particularly physical to be enemies to anybody, we are all considered enemies until regenerated. 
And so the work of the Holy Spirit is here too. We were reconciled to God when we were quickened by the Lord Jesus Christ and converted. That's the whole thing of reconciliation. But that's done by God's Holy Spirit. He still does the first work in the heart of a sinner to bring them in, even though they're considered an enemy. This is, this is interesting. The wrath of God poured upon his son. Now we've, I gave you a couple instances of the wrath of God being poured out upon the world, like the flood and like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's two instances. When God moved himself to destroy, and then the Jewish nation has always been in hot water, but we don't see the Lord's hand directly in it, but he uses somebody else, like the Roman army, to do that. Or like the German army under Hitler persecuting Jewish people. But there were two instances, the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah, where God actually made it an event that he took over himself. And it's not that he couldn't do it at any time. When our Lord Jesus Christ was taken in the garden, he told Peter, he said, now don't think that I couldn't call a, a what do you say, a legion of angels or sixth legion of angels? Let me see, just a second. He said, I, I could call uh, the armies from heaven down here. No, I don't know that. I'm in the wrong book. But anyhow, uh, the Lord could destroy this world in nothing flat. But that's, that's silly speaking. Because the only thing holding this world together are the elect souls in it. There'd be no reason for humanity no matter where they are, any continent, anywhere, anywhere, there's no reason for them to even exist because of their sinful natures and sinful activities in God's eyes, except for the elect that's mingled among the humanity of this earth. He has that everlasting love for them, and that is why the earth is not destroyed. Every article in the newspaper is about people killing people. The terrible atrocities in this world. God wouldn't put up for that, except for the elect's sake. Same in the tribulation, when people are going to be so horrible. It says, except those days be shortened. For the elect's sake, God would wipe it out completely. All right, now to preach Christ crucified is to set forth his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation in heaven. All of that is preaching Christ crucified. Do you want to look at his resurrection for a moment? Look at 1 Corinthians 15.4. 1 Corinthians 15.4. And that he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. According to what scriptures? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ, quite a few times, perfectly prophesied about his resurrection. Great words to the disciples who had him go in one ear and out the other. Turn to Mark 10, look at verse 33. Mark 10, 33. Gospel of Mark, verse 10, 33. And the last sentence in verse 32, it says, And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Now remember that Judas is listening to this also. That's an amazing character. Verse 33, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and a son of man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Is that prophecy? Just as clear as a bell. Just exactly the way it happened. And that is according to the scriptures because the scriptures are the words of God. And we just read the words of God, him saying, he will rise again the third day. How about his ascension? You know, somebody talking about their trip up. This never happened to anybody else before. Oh, I'm sure old Elijah could tell you a pretty good story. And we've got it in the Bible, how the Lord took him up in a chariot. But wouldn't you like to hear Elijah tell it? But you see, Elijah couldn't foretell it. Elijah couldn't say a month before he went, hey, I'm going up to heaven in a chariot. Elijah at one point in his life, was just as scared of dying as anybody else. Oh, Jezebel had him on a run. He wasn't afraid of all the prophets. Wasn't afraid of the king, Jezebel's husband, but let that old painted-up gal say she's going to get him, and he scooted for his life. He was afraid of dying. The Lord gives courage, and he takes courage away. It all depends upon the Lord. Uh, turn to Acts 1, the very first chapter of the book of Acts, in verse 9 and 10. Acts 1, 9 and 10. This is his ascension. This is God's word. This is a portion of God's word that Jehovah Witnesses deny, that Jehovah Witnesses change in their Bible, that they do not believe. 
And even though there are over a million of them in the world, they are all going to hell because they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as a mediator. See, no mediator, you're in trouble. You need somebody between God and you. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Here's how our Bible reads, the only Bible, King James. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go to heaven. How's that? In a body? Not a breath of a word here to intimate that he was changed into a spirit. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the God-man. We will view him as the God-man. We will never see the Lord Jesus Christ as a spirit. He is our mediator. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate. Never will he be a spirit to us. He voluntarily became the God-man to redeem you and I. I'm not talking about all the saints in the world from all ages. Right now, the most important person sitting in this congregation is you. You're the one that has to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a lovely thing to know him. It's a wonderful thing to know him. It's grace upon grace that God has given us an interest in eternity and has given us a love for his word and to believe his word. That means you stand out against the world. I mean, you take your stand against the world. The world don't believe in him. Connie and I were at a little banquet the other night. And of course, they always have a Catholic priest to say the invocation. Because that's a dominant religion in this area. But they would never dare mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in a prayer even. They start out, O thou most holy one. And then he ends up, in, O thou most holy one, we ask it in thy name, and all kinds of stuff in between. But he wouldn't dare mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's offensive. It's offensive to Jewish people. It's offensive to a lot of people. It's offensive to atheists. And they all have their rights in this wonderful country of ours, founded upon the Bible and upon the Christian religion. And now it has downgraded itself to the point where sodomites, baby killers, are the president's favorites. And they're the ones going to get the rights. And your rights and my rights are going right down to two because they're getting the rights. 
Interesting, huh? Sodomites. Baby killers. Bible haters. Rejectors of Christ. They're all coming to the forefront in this country. You know what? I have never seen anything about our country in this book. Can't find hide nor hair of the United States in here. And it may be totally destroyed before anything else happens. It's not here. And it's going down so anti-Christ and so anti-God so quickly that it may be totally destroyed. I can't tell you how or why, but I just have a, a strange feeling that God has blessed this nation to such a tremendous degree through the last couple hundred years, and now they're turning it over to Satan. It's not going to stand in God's eyes. I told you we got to preach Christ exalted in heaven also to be part of Christ crucified. Look at Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3. It says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You see, he represents God the Father perfectly. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ just shines out because it's the Father's glory. The Father is glorified in him. And being in a body and the things that he says and done, he's the express image of God in a body. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, how did he purge them? By fire, like somebody says you can purge sins? No. No fire involved. He purged our sins by his blood and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We owe everything we have to the Son of God who made satisfaction to God's justice that made satisfaction to God's person whom we all have sinned against to God's law the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied that law satisfied that justice by standing in our place as a substitute sin-bearer sacrifice. That's what Christ has done for you and me. For believers, do you know him as a substitute sacrifice? Is he on your mind morning, noon, and night? Is he your everything in this life? Can you drop everything and everybody else and put Christ first in everything? If there are problems in life that seem to overwhelm you, where is the Lord Jesus Christ in your life at that time? Do you forget about him? Do you forget about the scriptures? Do you forget about the promises just because there are some problems in the family, in the relatives, in the church that seem just insurmountable that you can't get over them, take it to Christ. He never changes. The same today, yesterday, and forever. 
If the Lord Jesus Christ is yours, nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's no problem that's going to even bother you. If you put the Lord Jesus Christ first and just hope in his promises. I think our time is running out. I thought I would finish this today. His exaltation in heaven. Turn to Philippians 2, look at verse 9 and through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. God has highly exalted him. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ suffering and being humiliated, that's over. There's no more sweet Jesus, no more little child Jesus, all those expressions you hear. No, he's king of kings now, Lord of lords, and everybody, everybody on earth is going to bow before him because he's a judge. But look at here, Philippians 2. Verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. What's under the earth? That's where hell is. See, they're going to be brought up there's a white throne judgment coming and they're going to be brought up. They're going to be given bodies that will be capable of eternal suffering. Never to die. Where the worm never dieth, those under the earth, in the earth, things in heaven, angels are going to be judged by him also. They'll all bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our God. And verse 11 says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. All praise unto the Lord Jesus Christ gives our triune God glory. If you praise him with your tongue, it's because God the Holy Spirit has indicted that prayer, that praise that goes to the Lord Jesus Christ that gives the Father glory. What a marvelous gospel this is. Well, we're going to have to close. We've got a few more points to carry on next week, so we'll do that. And uh, I'm not inviting you to do anything. The Lord Jesus Christ invites you through his word to come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, problem carriers, sin bearers, sin-involved people, he says, come unto me and I'll give you rest. That's as much as I can tell you about the loving heart of our Savior who will die for an enemy, shed his blood for a sinner. You think about it. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this message this morning that thou will bless hearts here by teaching us about Christ about ourselves, about salvation, about our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ taking our place on Calvary's cross. We ask thee for protection on the highways. Bring our people back again tonight, 6.30, 6.30 again, Wednesday night. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. 
I forgot to even announce